This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Great news, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, we have finished, actually, four, make that, yeah, four hours that we've done a family programming over the uh, extended Thanksgiving Day holiday. We do that as a tradition every year, uh, Nancy and myself. And we had a lot to be thankful for, as many of you had things to be thankful for. But for others, uh, it gave us an opportunity to talk to many of you who are shut-ins or couldn't be away with family or friends or no longer have family and friends available to you, except maybe the fluffy little yarn ball, little dog you have, or cat or other animal. And so we were were so happy to be able to talk to you for four hours. Nancy joined me uh, over the course of this holiday. And in the midst of that, Nancy, we were able to announce to our many listeners at the number one station in the nation by day and at night across the world that our Animal Welfare Hour, which we're now into, will be syndicated across the nation uh, due to uh, the uh, statements of our owner and operator, John and Margot Katsimatidis, and the president of our parent company, Red Apple Media. Uh, in about another week or two, uh, they will be syndicating this show across the nation, like some of the shows are syndicated across uh, the nation from WABC, The Mothership Connection. Frank Morano's show is syndicated, Greg Kelly's show, uh, Rudy Giuliani's show, uh, a number of other shows that are syndicated. So we join that panoply of different shows, and more people will have an opportunity to listen to the many stories involving animal welfare, the advice that you give, Nancy, and the problems that some people have that haven't been yet resolved, and they depend on us by calling us. Yeah, no, uh, very excited and looking forward to obviously speaking to more people and helping as many animals as possible. So we'll keep you updated on all of that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But before you do anything, uh, Broadway Billy, thanks for taking over at the board so we can give Matt Blaze a little opportunity to max and relax. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Do you have the breaking news sounder, please? Do you have the breaking news sounder? This is breaking news on the Animal Welfare Edition with Curtis and uh, Nancy here. 
See, they're having a bit of a hard time finding the breaking news uh, uh, sounder here. It shouldn't be difficult. We play it often here at WABC morning, noon, and night, but it is a struggle to find it. We'll give them another (laughs) few seconds. It's a combination of Heckle and Jekyll, uh, both um, Frick and Frack here. Broadway Bill Lee and Matt Blaze. Breaking news, WABC. Oh, wow. Finally. Took a month of Sundays. (laughs) Anyway, it has to do with the horse carriage industry in New York City. As you know, it's raining outside as we speak. It's inclement weather. It's cold. Uh, Tell us the bad news, uh, Nancy, of what's happened to one of these horses. Yeah, so earlier this afternoon, uh, there was a horse-drawn carriage around West 55th Street and 11th Avenue. And somehow, as the driver was trying to do something to the canopy, uh, the horse winds up, uh, you know, breaking free and then running through the Hell's Kitchen area. It collided uh, with several cars uh, and made it to the West Side Highway, where unfortunately it it got injured and and then cops were able to come and collect this. But yeah, this unfortunately another, this is a 15-year-old um, you know, horse that unfortunately w- broke free. It's you can see that it's injured as a result of this. I, I don't know how good of shape it's in already, but clearly it was trying to break free from what was going on. And I will tell you this: uh, if you're not in league uh, with our belief, which is to do away with the horse-drawn uh, carriage industry and replace it with uh, mechanized carriages, which actually now have happened in third world countries. It's happened in Guadalajara, Mexico, Santo Domingo and the DR, Bombay and Italy in India. But there still is resistance by the TWU local 100, which represents the men and women who work in the subways and some of the buses. And for some reason they have uh, as an adjunct group to their union, uh, the men and the women, the horse carriage drivers who are subcontracted anyway by the owners of the horses, and they have their stables over near the West Side Highway. So in order for those horse-drawn carriages to get to Central Park, they have to go through all the crowded s- streets. And oftentimes, there are all kinds of problems that the horses have. Either they're being hit by cars or they're banging into cars or trucks. If, if you still wanted to keep the horse-drawn carriages, if that was your goal, why wouldn't you build a stable right in Central Park so they don't have to leave the park? I mean, I, I think they used to have that there. Um, I, think, I believe that was commandeered by the NYPD ultimately because uh, one of the traverses in Central Park has something that looks, I think that's what it used to be. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, obviously, besides the fact that this industry is way overdue to be retired— the fact that you have horses going from, uh, you know, what the conditions they keep them in, it's a building. It's not even a stable. They have to walk up um, flights of stairs to stand in a stall. There's no aeration. There's no natural gra- grass. I mean, during the, the winter or the summer, it's not really acclimated to be warmed or, you know, cooled accordingly. And then you're, you're having them go through mid, you know, the middle of the day traffic. I mean, there's way too many. That's not an appropriate environment for them to be whatsoever. Well, we need an animal welfare committee in the city council. I know uh, animal rights activist uh, Robert Holden, the Democratic councilman from uh, Maspeth, Glendale, Middle Village, is heading that effort. Uh, But, boy, every other week it's something else. And it's usually 
on the trip that the horse and the carriage and the driver take when they leave the spot in Central Park that they queue up in to go back all the way to the west side, down in Hell's Kitchen, to the stables that they're assigned to. Always problems. <laughs> Every week is a different problem. Our number is one 800 The issue that so bothered our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, that we actually talked about it, Nancy, when he was substituting for Sid Rosenberg, is this um, disease that is spreading in the canine community. It, it's um, So far, it's like a virus with no antibiotic, uh, with no apparent cure, and it's starting to wipe out some uh, dogs uh, across the country. The fear is that it's going to come here. Can you explain a little bit about it? Because it really has uh, people who have dogs all upset. They could be, be coming to the dogs that they have and they care for and they raise. Yeah. Um. So, again, this is at this point, there's not a ton of information that's known about what this uh, canine respiratory illness is. But it mimics a lot of the existing sort of respiratory illnesses where you have the sneezing, the coughing, lethargy, things like that. But... It has a strain that's um, apparently resistant to normal antibiotics. So if you notice these um, symptoms in your dog, they're suggesting that you right away take them to the vet to be seen because by delaying treatment, if, you know, you're sort of uh, thinking, oh, maybe it's just, uh, you know, they're feeling the weather's changing, you know, you could be losing very valuable time because even though they don't have a specific course of treatment, you know, what, what they have to more or less do is like almost have them in ICU. So they got to have to give them fluids and, you know, give them immediate care because if not, it has been fatal in dogs. So um, this one, you know, success story in a way had to do with a five-year-old golden retriever who apparently was in the dog um, show sort of um, traveling sort of circuit for a bit. And so was around a lot of dogs. And that's one of the suggestions they have that maybe dogs are actually spreading it to one another as opposed to it just, you know, sort of being independently um, developed as like another strain. So because of that, now this dog wound up having to go to the hospital and had a very strong form of antibiotic, which normally wouldn't be used, but it actually was able to save this dog's life. So this dog was on its deathbed and by getting this um, very strong antibiotic, uh, you know, was able to sort of have a turnaround so I think there is, you know, potentially, you know, some some hope in this. But again, now that requires that being um, accessible and also being tested accurately. That's the problem. They can't quite test for it yet. Well, I will tell you this. Um, uh, I've, I've had dogs in my life. Obviously, now we have cats. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a vet. But I think all of this, and I've said this before, starts when the dogs are out, you're walking your dog. They're on the leash, or maybe they're frolicking around in a, in a dog walk, and they're sniffing one another's tuchuses. I mean, that's a guarantee to spread pestilence, disease, and viruses. You know, just like you have, uh, sometimes you have to muzzle the dog because maybe the dog uh, will bark too much or will try to bite somebody. I think you may have to cover the muzzle and make sure they're not sniffing one another's tuchuses. I mean, that's a, I mean, come on, that's unsanitary. I mean, it's bad enough they're walking on the streets of New York City, so. Exactly, exactly. So if, <laughs> if I were in charge of animal welfare in the city of New York, 
uh, we would prevent the sniffing of tuchuses by dogs to dogs. It always, now, sometimes it happens with cats, but it's mostly a dog thing. It seems like dogs, the first thing they do, they don't know one another. What do they do? They sniff each other's tuchus. Yeah. It's... You imagine if human beings did that? Is that how they recognize one another, by the sniff of the tuchus? Maybe somebody out there knows. Boy, that's a nasty habit. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So there's hope potentially in this last resort antibiotic that saved that uh, five-year-old um, a retriever uh, from dying from this mystery disease. Correct. Exactly. So, I mean, again, the, the idea, though, in general is to make sure that you're keeping your dog um, you know, up to date on anything, or if they have underlying issues, you want to be addressing those just in case it might be exposed. It'll be, you know, less likely to to get this, hopefully. Now, one of the big stories over the weekend, the Thanksgiving Day holiday, was uh, the NYPD rescuing 20 cats from a van on the Upper East Side. You broke it down for me, so it wasn't necessarily the way I heard Noam Layden, our news director, tell the story. There were a lot more elements to this story than what was reported on the news. Can you break it down for our uh, animal welfare audience here at WABC, Nancy? Yeah, so this was, uh, you know, stated as a cat rescue Saturday morning, 5 a.m., First Avenue, 63rd Street. Uh, Someone was walking by this vehicle, and inside they could see that there were several cats lounging on the chair and the dashboard, so immediately, you know, first first reaction call the nine one one. So they had an emergency service unit. I mean, multiple people showed up on scene to investigate this. Now, once they opened the the, it was like a a van. Uh, they didn't find any animals that were uh, you know ill or any animals that were dead. Um, they had found food there. I mean, clearly someone is. Uh, it looks like someone was probably living in the car. But it, on the street that it was, you know, there's no parking ticket. So, again, it couldn't have been there that long. So I think for all intents and purposes, probably what's going on is you have someone who is in some form of a transitional housing and for some reason just happen to have a lot of cats with them. But unfortunately, the bad news is that by calling the NYPD, an emergency services unit, what their protocol is, is bringing the cats right away to animal care and control. So these cats, which, you know, again, by all indications seem to be friendly and healthy, were placed in animal care and control, and now, you know, the issue becomes you have an overcrowded shelter and the likelihood of them being able to retrieve this amount of cats, um, you know, show ownership. I mean, all these things, it's going to make it difficult, and sadly, they might be euthanized. So I think that's really the tragedy of this story. Had they waited and tried to maybe see what was going on with this person, they might have been able to help them in the situation. Oh, do you need, like, what's going on? As opposed to the first course of action, the, the cats were already guilty and sent to the shelter. Yeah, and so the cops staked out the van <laughs> with right. with a, a marked car and uniformed officers. So eventually somebody was going to return to the van because somebody had been living but, in the like, van. I right? can't believe there was an actual stakeout going on here. So again, right, I mean, you can run the plates. You can see what the, I mean, it might take a minute to kind of put all these pieces together. But the fact that they had the time to sit in the car for up to three hours waiting for these people. Now, of course, they already saw what happened. They probably see the police tape around. They see marked... Like, they're not going to come back to their car until the cop cars were gone, which they did. 
And then they were asking, where's my cats? Where'd they bring them? So, I mean, that was a debacle of the Saturday morning. So at this point, did they return to the vehicle? They returned to the vehicle several hours after um, you know, this incident. So ap- about right after the cops had left, that's when they returned to the vehicle. Were uh, they able to get the cats back? No, they weren't. They were asking where they were, and the only thing they were told was that uh, the cops had taken them to animal care and control. So again, the problem there is even like retrieval of them. You know, if you're in a situation where you might not have the specific information and they euthanize them so quickly, so that lack in time, that gap in time, that could be, you know, the, the reason why they'll be put down. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Christy in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Christy. Congratulations, you guys, for being syndicated. Thank you, Christy. <clears throat> That's wonderful. And you deserve it. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I have a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> um, I'm calling because my son, um, who is in his 60s, I'm 82, he um, is homeless. I'm living on a fixed income. He's in Tennessee, in Knoxville, and he was helping somebody who was uh, a, a woman who had dogs, and she was like near her. She was near death, and he's just stayed with her until you know through it. And so, so then he's left with these two dogs, and he's told he can't stay in the camper that she was living in that he has to leave. And he had to take the dogs with him. So somebody gave him a camper that he can't really, needs tires. He doesn't have a job because he doesn't have a car to get, you know, his work is beautiful that he does. But anyway, he doesn't have a job. And so here he is with these dogs. And he didn't know two of them were pregnant. And the next thing he knew, he had 18 dogs. He started off with just his own dog, um, a tiny, you know, small... Now, 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 Christy, so he's living in the camper now with the dogs? Yeah, and he managed to build a fence around to keep them in the fence, but then they got so big, they were jumping over the fence and getting away. So here's the thing. He's had trouble feeding them. I would send him money when I could. But um, Well, I'll tell you what we'll do, Christy. Hold, he, hold on the line. Hold on the line. We'll see. Nancy, you've got a lot of contacts all over the country. Maybe we could try to figure out a way to uh, assist him. It seems like he's got situation himself of being homeless, but he's got 18 dogs. Yeah, I mean, because obviously, besides the fact of trying to find homes for them, I mean, I'm not sure how many have been seen by a vet and obviously spay and neuter because that can get really out of control, even more so than this really quickly. So there are a lot of um, organizations that if you do reach out to them locally can help you minimum with that sort of first step of bringing them to the vet. Let's try to get her information. Uh, See if we can get Matt Blaze or someone to write that information down. Broadway, Bill Lee. uh, It's one of the things that we do is the outreach from our Animal Welfare Hour Let's go to uh, William, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, William. Yes, I want 
wanted to say happy holidays, first of all. Second of all, it's in the water. The water is where these diseases are started from. The, the third thing is that when we have to understand the depopulation of them trying to deface the identity of American society freedom, it's not Democratic and Republican. They want to take away all our rights. Hold it down, Curtis. You're the best, baby. I'm going to see you on Saturday Night Live. Comedian. All right. From, all right, but hold on a second now. His, his original observation that this uh, unknown disease that is killing dogs and causing dogs to get very sick, William thinks that it comes from the water that they drink and not necessarily from their contact with other dogs. I mean, I, I'm first of all, I'm sure any of that is is as legitimate as anything. I mean, we know that food poisons them uh, in so many instances, a lot that's even made for them. And unfortunately, we've heard enough about the what's in the water, the forever chemicals that are poisoning people, so they certainly would be poisoning dogs. Well, you know what we'll have to do uh, with all these situations taking place nationally? We Because now we'll be syndicated across the nation. We should set up a website. Uh, so this way people can get information about what animal welfare issues even when we're not on the air. You know, there can be an instant follow-up. Let's go to Joe in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, hi. Uh, you know, I was asking about the, the cats a little bit. Uh, I noticed even in my neighborhood there's some people doing home construction sites, and they're not leaving the uh, stuff they're digging with any sort of barrier up the driveway. So a cat uh, at night could literally fall into it. There's no barriers. Uh, so I'm wondering about cats' night vision and possibly falling into a construction site. And then also I was just thinking of the cheetah, how that was used in, in advertisements a lot. What, what do you guys think of the cheetah? Well, I, I tell you, uh, first, let's deal with the cats at construction sites. I've oftentimes, when I visited construction sites, Nancy, as a kid, as my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, was a watchman when they did a lot of subdivisions. It's almost a natural place where cats almost look to seek uh, sanctuary, where they'll hide if they're feral cats, a brand-new construction site, which some of the time is not being worked on. And that's when my grandfather would go around and I would watch him and he would feed the feral cats because he said, oh, they were great. They kept the uh, the uh, mice and the uh, rats away. So uh, he was saying specifically, Joe, about barriers. Uh, I, I think that would be pretty difficult. Well, yeah, in terms of the actual sites themselves, <clears throat> I don't think they have any requirements in terms of what they have to do. Now, I think cats are usually pretty good at being smart enough to recognize a lot of the, the dangers of something, although obviously construction goes so quickly. I've worked with a lot of people who they take care of colonies of cats, and then all of a sudden the construction starts to happen. So these, these companies are coming in, or the builders or developers, whatever, and sadly right away they want to get the cats out of there because, oh, we're do doing demolishing. And then what they do is they try to do like rat eradication, you know, like different traps and pesticides. So th sometimes they don't see the value of maintaining cats there. Even with construction going on, as long as you have a small spot for them where it's contained and you're not touching them, they will stay there, you know, with all the stuff going on around them. So 
it's beneficial for them to be there, and it would be a great idea. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of outreach that needs to be done to people who are doing this type of development to realize this is why you want to make sure they stay there, because as soon as you dig up the ground, stuff is going to start coming out you don't want. And, you know, you don't have watchmen uh, like uh, they used to have in the 60s when my grandfather would earn income after his retirement by being there all night, and he'd be feeding the cats. Now, we also mentioned the big cats, cheetahs. Panthers, Jaguars, Cheetah was like extraordinarily fast. You know, you'd want to be, it, it sort of reminded me like uh, the symbol of Mercury, you know, the speed, not, not the anniversary of Freddie Mercury's death, but rather, uh, you know, just the speed of Mercury. You would watch a Cheetah. We would, in fact, you have on the big screen, the 72-inch big screen TV we have, you have a watering hole in uh, Namibia yeah. <laughs> that the African Elks, are getting their water from. It's very limited water. It's like in a desert area. I saw a horse come over and the elk moved over. Then I saw the ostriches come and they were battling for water. Like little hyenas. Exactly. But you see, that would be a situation that if a cheetah came up or a panther or a jaguar or obviously a lion, uh, the the other animals would immediately move away. And that's where sometimes they get their prey because everybody has to come and drink from the water hole. So if you notice, packs of animals will actually have uh, some of the animals who are like lookouts for the big cats who then will look to take advantage of the weakest or, or any of the, the pack of animals that may be injured or maybe they're young and they can't keep up with the adults. But it all takes place around the watering hole. Where I first saw that was a mutual of all Omaha's wild kingdom. He actually explained it uh, 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 in great length on major network television, which uh, you really don't see as much. Any- oh, you really don't see as much any longer. You really got to go to uh, you really got to go to uh, cable TV in order to see those things. And speaking of out in the wilds. You have uh, turkeys that we see all over Staten Island and in New Jersey now, even in the urban areas, and yet they're saying that their numbers are dwindling. Now, if you happen to be in our area, you wouldn't notice that wild turkeys are dwindling. If, if anything, they seem to exponentially have been expanding their radius where they live and operate. Yeah, so so apparently the last 10 to 15 years, wild turkey populations have been decreasing. But to your point, it's not all across the United States. Um, the South and Midwest, that's where they're seeing a decrease. But there's actually increases in the Northeast. So there's a reason why people are seeing them around New York a little more. But again, this is in reference just to the wild turkeys. So, you know, it has nothing to do with the, you know, normal turkeys that are um, at the farm race or however you want to call that. Um, and apparently, so now they're found only in North America that I didn't know. So that's why like, there's this, you know, affiliation of us with the turkeys. But now what was interesting was this concern about the turkeys, the person who's being cited in this story is from an organization called the National Wild Turkey Foundation, right? That sounds like great. Like they're trying to do a lot of good now, things. Now, wild turkey, you sure that's not the liquor? <laughs> no, 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 that's actually what this, this found, uh, foundation federation is called rather. So it's a group. Now, I was looking into, like, what is their actual mission statement? What are they involved in? So the reason why they're concerned about the decline in the wild population is because, you know, in addition to trying to 
conservation efforts. What they really want to do is bring wild turkeys into areas so people can hunt them. So their concern is all these states where it's going down is because it's where it's been overhunted. So there's a lot of um, industries, sadly, that are based on the fact that they have the hunting licenses and people will come into state to do hunting because it's so prevalent in like a certain areas. So they're more concerned about the lowering population because it's affecting their economy, <laughs> their hunting economy. So sadly, that's what's going on. And, you know, the, the normal culprits of it, besides the overhunting, is the fact of just having lesser habitat. I mean, they need to have certain areas. And, you know, as, as people are sort of going into more and more areas and developing more and more, you don't have that open space. So, again, this is they need open space to really have their nest, to have, you know, and, and because they're being put into smaller areas, now it's easier for predators to get their eggs. So, again, there's a lot of things contributing to why the population is going down, but, it, you know, it depends what, what the concern is. It seems like they're just concerned about hunting them. Got to tell you, in Staten Island, from Father Capadonna Boulevard to Seaview to Highland Boulevard to Forest Avenue, I've seen lots of wild turkeys and not the alcohol. 1-800-848-9222. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Right to the stories we go for this week's animal welfare. Uh, in the future, in the near future, this show will be syndicated nationally across the nation by our parent company, Red Apple Media, was blessed. By John and Margot Katzmatidis, our owners and operators who love animals, and uh, put into motion for national syndication by the uh, president of Red Apple Media, uh, Chad Lopez. Now, there is this story, uh, I think it comes from down south, A-hole, a 17-pound dog gets new owners after a Texas shelter's hilarious social post. What is that about? Okay, so, you know, uh, there's um, a two-year-old uh, Dachshund Hound mix that was in the shelter. And, you know, it's a great idea. You try to get people's attention. You come up with little funny, quirky stories. And it did work because the dog was, after eight hours of being posted online, uh, they found an adopter for it. But they described this dog in a in a very negative manner, calling it an a-hole. <laughs> and this dog, the shelter's in Texas... But to try and get the dog adopted, they described it as a New York-type dog. Yeah, they said the dog was like a guy you see walking around New York City. They said, quote, if Eddie had an accent, he would sound like he's from the Bronx, wearing a wife-beater T-shirt and a tattoo that says mom on his arm. If you got into a bar fight, Eddie, the dog, would back you up and take on all five guys, put his cigarette uh, out right on your face. (laughs) So apparently that's what they think all New York dogs are like, but it worked. Got adopted. <laughs> you see, people love New Yorkers. Even when you try to insult them, defame them, 
They still love that that New York thing. And that was a New York attitude that that Dashian had. Anyway, let's go to Charles calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Charlie. Here, Curtis, the bottom line is this. It is absolutely imperative that we get the um, idiots at ACAC to to end their horrible policies of killing dogs and cats. And I suggest that during this, um, during the Hanukkah Christmas season, that they waive all fees. Let's get them to adopted by American veterans and give them the status of service animals. And Curtis, I tried to get on the phone with you and your lovely wife, Nancy. There's an American Marine veteran in a basement cell apartment in a wheelchair. And, and lately, this weekend, uh, his uh, dog, the, the beautiful dog, American Blue Nose Italian Mastiff, his back legs, he was dragging his back legs. We well, 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 I'll, tell what, and, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Charles. Uh, Broadway Bill Lee will get your information, and Nancy will try to find uh, follow up on that. It's obviously a detailed story. Uh, Broadway Billy, get his contact information. Nancy will follow up on that. Let's go to Gail, who's uh, calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition, Gail. Hi. Good good evening, Nancy and Curtis. Good show. Listen, dogs uh, smell each other's butts. It's because of their extraordinarily powerful sense of smell. It's like when a human... We give facial recognition. The dog could tell a lot. They have, like, um, pheromones. They could tell a dog's, um, and their glands give off that pheromone. And they could tell a dog's mood, its status, its diet, its age, its gender. You mean, mean, yeah, just by (laughs) sniffing its tuchus? That's how they do it. I, I noticed that, uh, like, we were out the other night walking around when they were pumping up the balloons for the Thanksgiving Day Parade at the Museum of Natural History. A lot of people were walking their dogs, and the first thing they did when they would meet, because obviously these dogs didn't seem to know one another, is start sniffing each other's tuchus. Yeah. Well, just thank God, you know, we're not up to that. But it's the same thing when a dog comes up to you, like if you walk in the house and the dog you know, goes to jump or they'll come right and smell you in that area and they could tell a lot about you. I always find myself, if I see a pet, I'll get down very low, even if it's on my knees and I turn my hand upside to let them sniff my hand. And I feel that when I'm getting down low, they become friendly. They're not, they don't think you're coming at them in a, in a, in a way, you know, to hurt them in any way. Wow, that is extraordinarily interesting. Now, I notice we have one cat in the house, the matriarch, Athena. She thinks her stuff is better than anybody else. She's a prima donna, a real diva. <laughs> but she's always sniffing the other cat's tuchuses. I notice the other cats don't necessarily do it to one another, but it's almost like she sniffs their tuchus first and then swipes it down the... Tell me, get away. I'm the diva of all divas. Well, she is a prima donna, to your point. Uh, she even eats with her with her paws, which is... And, and she waits until everyone else is done. She, don't want, she doesn't want to be around them when they're acting foolish. She, she kind of goes by her own little tune. And we rescued her. She was in really bad shape uh, in Sunset Park. And again, she is a, like a pedigree cat. Yeah, a Norwegian forest cat. That's her breed. 
Oh, boy, and she really thinks she rules the roost, and she does. Speaking of roost, let's go to Pat, who's calling from Matawan, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Pat. Hi, good evening, Curtis, Nancy. I, I wanted to um, put something out. I haven't heard this uh, mentioned before, but it's been bothering me. You know when you go into, let's say, a supermarket or a box um, club, and they sell these uh, roasted chickens fresh off the rotisserie. And they have these bands that get wrapped around the wing and the leg and what have you. And when people discard them, if animal comes and smells that and ingests it, it could be very harmful to their intestinal tract. And I go about my business by cutting it up into small pieces and then, of course, soaking it. But... I, I'm concerned that not everybody is going to take that attention, and it's very harmful if an animal ingests that band. No, I, I agree with you. Um, certainly, I've had issues, unfortunately, before with uh, indoor cats of mine when they've ingested plastic, and th- that type of sort of rubbery material, it's it's one of the worst because, you know, it's not a, a completely obvious thing to your point. I mean, someone might not think a rubber band has something, but because it has a scent to it, I mean, they'll find a, you know, a, a little tiny grip of any sort of food in a bag. And if they do ingest that, obviously, it's going to be very difficult in their intestinal tract. So, you know, same way that people, when they get the sodas, they cut the rings up and things like that. You know, that should be more in people's consciousness. Yeah, you know, I always used to wear rubber bands around my wrist. Uh, It was a habit that I had acquired, and uh, ever since we had the cats in our apartment, you told me, don't don't do that, because if you take one of those rubber bands off, or if they break off your wrist, they fall to the floor, the cats might devour it, and it'll cause them all kinds of intestinal grief. Yeah, it's not a thing that they can easily, you know, cough back up, and, you know, it's so thin, it could just go right into their... Once they swallow it, it's a a big problem for them. Now, speaking of coughing back up, uh, in this holiday season, people will sometimes get half in the bag. You know, they'll be knocking back uh, all kinds of alcoholic beverages, But I understand there was a story about a dog who got drunk on Baileys and vodka and spent the night at the vet. Basically, like a drunk drunk tank for a dog. (laughs) Yeah, so there was a a post by a dog owner, and apparently she she came home, and the dog that she had, I think it is a golden retriever too as well, had gotten into not one bottle, but two bottles of alcohol. So the first was Baileys. And then drank the whole thing and then got into a bottle of vodka in another room. So obviously it kind of begs the question, why is there so much open alcohol in this lady's house that's accessible? But, you know, right away the dog was walking funny and, you know, she was being a little lighthearted about it. But obviously took the the dog to the vet and had to stay, um, you know, in a couple days, actually, believe it or not. And, you know, similar things like IVs and you know, because it was almost like the equivalent of an alcohol poisoning. So, you know, you have to be careful about having open bottles. I mean, you know, bottles, I'm a little surprised that a dog was able to get into a bottle. Like, I could see a cup, but, I mean, now it's another thing to look out so, for. So now, does that, uh, so that, does that dog have to go to AA meetings? Uh, <laughs> is it like half in the bag all the time? You know, it's, it's funny because the, obviously the story goes out of its way to say, oh, it affects 
people differently. So we don't really know what the dog was experiencing. But you're right. We'll know if it if it tries to hit the bottle again. Now, Rand Paul, interesting, because he was at the epicenter of what was maybe one of the most raucous times I've ever been involved with with uh, an adversary. Uh, it was during my mayoral campaign. I had taken a break to go to a luncheon that was being sponsored by Senator Al D'Amato and John Katzmatidis. It was at Bobby Vans, and uh, Rand Paul was speaking about his many battles with Dr. Fauci at those Senate hearings, about wearing masks, socially distancing, all of that. And that was the time, remember, where uh, Al D'Amato told me, uh, I'll do everything I can to work for Eric Adams' uh, election, and he dropped a few F-bombs on me. Now we're the best of friends, uh, forgive and forget. But apparently Rand Paul now is inquiring of the FDA why, and this applies directly to Fauci, because we did a lot of animal welfare stories about Fauci outsourcing testing, remember, on the beagles in Tunisia, and allowing these sand fleas to just eat them alive. Horrific for no, no value whatsoever. No scientific value or medical value whatsoever. But Rand Paul has now taken it beyond that, And he's asking the FDA, why are you requiring human or animal testing for new drugs or perfumes or anything like that? Yeah, and and this is another sad example of why legislation just continues to fail animals in every way imaginable. This was unanimously passed uh, by Congress a year ago uh, for it was called the FDA Modernization Act, and the intent of it was to, to, to allow companies who are submitting any of these um, FDA approvals to have the option to start testing on something other than animals or to present alternative proof. Now, obviously, like herein lies the, the, the issue. You don't need to test on animals as m- the way that you do. Many of these tests has, have already been uh, shown to be pointless, duplicative. So, again, there's no reason to be doing this. So this was just an acknowledgement of this. Partly it was like to help speed up some of these drug approvals. That being said, um, one year later, the paperwork from the FDA itself still mandates this testing for all these companies. So all the companies who they're not mandated, they just have the option to not do it, right? So it's not even that they're really aggressively defending animals. But the FDA paperwork one year later still doesn't reflect this change in policy. Now, and just to put it in perspective— Every single year, 50 million animals are tested on. So 50 million. And there are, that includes what they call purpose-bred animals, like animals that are just created for the point of testing, mice and rats and birds. And then this also includes things like crabs, fish, frogs, octopi, turtles. They get no protection whatsoever from any of these acts. And then some of the biggest tests that are done are on cats, dogs, and primates. So, I mean, we have a history of, for almost 100 years, testing on primates, where only a f- 10 years ago they finally acknowledged, well, it, doesn't, it never really added anything to the equation and it was pointless. This is after d- decades and decades of testing and subjecting these animals and, real- and then now actually coming forward as the um, you know, authority on science and saying, well, yeah, it probably didn't make any sense and it didn't add to the equation. So to allow this horrific abuse of animals... When you're acknowledging, all the scientific communities are acknowledging it doesn't add anything to the equation anymore. This has to stop. This has to stop. There's there's no doubt. And how many of these dogs and cats and uh, monkeys and other primates that are tested on, 
Never leave that cage their entire life. Yeah, and, and when never leave yeah, that cage. And when they're done testing on them, the protocol is just to euthanize them. So in, you know, so besides the fact that they have no socialization, no no livelihood, you're you're putting them through painful tests. They don't have you know the ability to ever like once they're done being tested on, they don't even get to enjoy like a retirement, so to speak. The protocol is to euthanize them. So complete disregard for looking at them as any living creatures with any feelings or any emotions. There was that great story that you showed me, a video story, where a chimpanzee had been kept in a cage its entire life, tested on, and then eventually had earned its freedom and was released out to a group of chimpanzees who immediately just embraced that chimpanzee. They did not reject him, even though he was not able to socialize with other chimpanzees for years of his life. Yeah, I mean, and and the levels of stress that these, unfortunately, animals are subjected to their whole lives. I mean, to even think that you're getting an accurate presentation of what a body system would do, they're in high-stress environments, totally devoid of any normalcy. And then, like, to your point, when finally this, you know, chimpanzee was released— the first time it actually had seen the sun. So up until then, it only seen light bulbs. I mean, that's that's completely ridiculous. That's so unacceptable. Let's go to Chris, who's calling from uh, Suffolk County. Uh, welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Chris. Hello, Curtis. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your wife. Um, I uh, I was laughing. You guys are talking about with the cats. I have my daughter has the hair clips and the little, uh, what do you call those little springy uh, rubber band things they have in there? Yeah, scrunchies. And they constantly, <laughs> yeah, oh my, I, I have them all over my house because somehow they find them. She, my daughter puts them on the dresser <laughs> and all day long because I, I have five cats. So they are constantly doing that all the time. And you know what? Last night I was listening to when I heard the guy naming, you got a couple guys doing a contest on how many animals. I got five cats, two dogs, two birds, and a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, give me that again, because you're ready for Noah's Ark. Five cats. Yeah, that's what you were saying. That's why I was laughing last night. I was listening late last night, and you were saying that. And I said, I, I think I got that guy beat. But um, anyway, uh, also, too, Curtis, I wanted to tell you, the other night you were talking about that movie, um, The, the incident. incident. Yeah, The Incident. I, I, I saw it. It's pretty pretty damn good. Yeah, no, no. I think uh, if anybody wants to know what the subways were like in the 50s or 60s, because they, they had problems, not as much as uh, we ended up with in the 70s that motivated me to start the Guardian Angels. You should see The Warriors. That's a great uh, cult movie classic about the 70s. But the incident, so well done. About so many different couples, uh, both Nancy and I watched it Thanksgiving night. And we couldn't, we couldn't like, turn it off. Every couple had a different story. Every train... Uh, the train that came, the number four train down, every stop, there was a different couple that came on. And the two guys on the train, the total psychotics. Uh, the best uh, part was played by Tony Masante. He was total psycho. And that was, um, that was uh, Martin Sheen's first role ever in the movies. Now, from now on, ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that very soon this show will be nationally syndicated here. The Mothership Station will be WABC. So people across the nation will be able to benefit from it. Uh, You can always get it on podcasts. If you miss it live and locally, as all our programs are here at WABC, just go to the podcast. If you missed any of our previous editions, it's every Sunday night from 10 to 11, right before 
Dominic Carter, who's warming up in the bullpen. And if people need to get in touch with you during the week, Nancy, how should they go about doing that? They can go to the guardianangels.org website, um, or you can also reach out to me on on Twitter. Uh, You can message me, Nancy Sliwa ESQ. Nancy Sliwa ESQ. And we will also be getting up a special website for the national syndicated show of animal welfare exclusive to WABC.